0: This is the Citizen of Heaven podcast number 253, Songs, part two. I'm Hal Hammonds, Citizen of Heaven, your embedded correspondent in Satan's world. Thanks for listening, sharing, subscribing, and coming back. Here's more of my discussion with Michael Eldridge and Brian Rainwater. Here we talk more particularly about the songs we sing as the people of God, old hymnals versus newer collections, old style hymns versus modern radio fare, how we learn songs and whether it's worth the effort, and much, much more. Apologies ahead of time to Hillsong and their song Oceans, which some might think we're picking on. Brian teaches music at Florida College. Michael performs music at Acapeldridge.com. I have more than a dozen hymnals and other song collections in my library, the differences are profound between, for instance, the Halal collections from my generation and the complete Christian hymnal published in 1940 by Foy Wallace and Marion Davis. Describe, if you could, the evolution of spiritual music over the last hundred years and how can we use the changing times to our advantage?
1: A lot of songs that have been written over the past, oh, 20 or more years had more, uh, the rhythm is more syncopated. You know, uh, it, it it moves more, it it jigs more. You know, it, uh, and it, that makes it a little more, uh, I guess, fun for maybe younger people to sing. It, it it's 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 a little closer to maybe the kind of the music that they're listening to. It doesn't make it more challenging to to sight read. I can tell you that when you pick up um, some of those kind of songs that are in the songs of faith and praise, and you try to sight read those things. There's all these dots and, and flags on the note all over the place. And I mean, uh, I mean, I'm a good sight reader, you know, I've been playing music for a long time and <laughs> teach college and all that. But some of those are like, whoa, okay, I gotta sit down and study that. Whereas, you know, a lot of the songs in our the songbooks that we typically, uh, you know, the Symphonia songbook or songs of the church or or whatever, those are much more sight readable. Now, of course, that's talking about the music side of it. Uh now the word side of it. You know, there are some that are are super powerful. The Son of Man is one that comes to mind. I can't remember exactly all the words to it, but that's it was in that's in the Songs of Faith and Praise. A, a, a picture in the Book of Revelation, I think, chapter four, of Jesus' uh, amazing song. But you know, there are some songs these these songs that are real syncopated nowadays. Well, they don't really say a whole lot. Either so there's you know there's pros and cons to new songs being written, but then you go back in time and you look at songs that were written back at you know the old Red Sacred Selections songbook that I grew up with. Um, I, I don't know I may be older than you two guys. I don't know if you grew up with that particular song, but we should go back and look at that songbook. Yeah, there are some great ones in there, and there are some that are like, oh yeah, they're they're laughable, you know, at, at the kind of things that they that they say. And there's a reason they weren't included in the new Sym- Symphonia book. I say all that to say, hey, there's been great songs and bad songs in every uh, in every generation.
2: Yes, you make mention of this recent, what I'll call a radio trend, which is probably unique. So one thing is true now that has been true in the past. There are people who are writing new songs, who um, are doing their best to write meaningful lyrical content and write accessible melodies that happened hundred years ago with Manny Crosby. And it's still happening today. It was happening with Matt Basford. It's happening with, with many people, you know, I'm I'm part of a couple different groups on Facebook who are trying to write hymns and we send our hymns back and forth to each other to say, Hey, what's, what's, what do I need to improve on here? Um, That's absolutely still happening. But this recent trend where people will hear um, a song on K love, a Christian radio station, and then they think, oh, I really like that. We should sing that in church. And then they will reverse transcribe it and will try to make a song that was not written to be a cappella, and they'll try to write it in an a cappella arrangement. And that's why you see all of these crazy syncopations, because they weren't originally written that way. What we're doing is we're hearing the unique footprint of somebody's voice in the way that they organically syncopate a melody as they're singing it. And then we think, okay, here's the way that Lauren Daigle sang it. And so we're going to add every single syncopation, just like she did. And if you've not heard her actually sing it, then when you look at it on the page, it's going to look ridiculous. It's like, what what am I supposed to do with this? (laughs) You know, like you, it's like, I know how to sight read. This is ridiculous. (laughs) And nobody's going to pick this up unless they've heard it on the radio before. And that's why I think songs like that. They're just blips. They're very popular for a short period of time. And then for the most part, they disappear because they're not always singable. They're not always accessible. I remember one of those songs was Oceans, which it's not been that long. It's like three or four years ago that it came out. I don't hear a whole lot of people talking about oceans, but for a brief period of time, everybody was sharing it on Facebook and YouTube. Oh, here's a group of somebody singing Oceans. Well, in the congregation, it's really hard to sing because we've just written Lauren Daigle's voice on a page. And it just doesn't help to, to sing it that way. So I think that's kind of a short-term blip on the radar. I don't think that's going to last much longer. Maybe it will. But I mean, most, most songs that have long lives have good bones. And that's not to say that there are songs which aren't that great, but have continued to live on forever, or songs that are fantastic, and they disappear and fall off our radar, Only to be rediscovered again 50 or 75 or 100 years later. Songs like Be Thou My Vision is one of my favorite songs, which is an old song which somehow got lost. And now we're like, where's this been? This is a great song. Great melody, great words. Let's sing this again. So songs have a way of appearing and disappearing. But um, you had mentioned changing times. Uh, Times are changing, but not in a way that's different than it was in the past. I think times are changing just as they've always changed, and there are new melodies and new songs and new styles that come and go, but there are still people today, just as there were 100 years ago, who are trying to write meaningful songs, and the one thing that changes is our vernacular, so when we do see certain songs in the old sacred selections, yeah, we we might laugh at some of the lyrics the way that they're phrased, because it's like, okay, we don't say those words anymore, you know, it's it's not normal for us to say them, and then when we do sing those songs with words that we're not familiar with speaking, it's more of a distraction than it is a tool to lead us to worship, which 100 years ago, it was probably great. People spoke those words. They used those
0: phrases, and it wasn't a distraction for them. No, it was it was real for them. You mentioned radio uh, and this this being a unique time. In fact, radio is one thing I wanted to talk about, but not radio from the 21st century, radio from the 30s and the 40s a lot of hymns were written for the radio. And it was a really interesting time musically for us because before music was just a social kind of thing, sitting around the campfire with a guitar or or whatever. The church might have a piano or an organ or, or maybe just a cappella, whatever. But it was a communal event, typically. It was not a performance. At least that's my understanding of history. And you get onto radio and... With radio, it's almost by its nature a performance. There's one person on the radio who is singing, and you may or may not be singing in your living room as you're listening along, but primarily it's one guy or, or a small group or whatever. And hymns were written for the radio that we incorporated into our worship with four-part harmony, square pegging around the whole thing, just like we're doing today with oceans or or whatever. And some hymns it works really well like victory in jesus for instance is is a fantastic hymn, as far as i'm concerned I, I think it works very very well with four part i think how great thou art which brian mentioned earlier doesn't work as well in four part but it can be squeezed into a mold and it's such a great hymn that we just kind of ignore the the rhythmical difficulties and whatnot and everybody knows the hymn anyway so it'll be fine and then you have got the old rugged cross which is a complete and total mess, and we just embrace it anyway, because everybody knows the hymn, and we sing it the way we've always sung it, and we just kind of ignore the notes on the page, because we'll just get totally lost if we try to sing the notes on the page. That's not what anybody sings, because that's not what the guy in the radio sang 100 years ago. By skipping the music, as it were, We wind up getting to where we need to be. It's not about singing the notes on the page as best we can. It's about communing together in music. It's about fellowship. It's about connecting with God, praising God. That's ultimately the most important thing. Usually the best way to get there is by singing the notes on the page so everybody's in unison, so everybody's connected to one another. I have given up on trying to force people to sing the notes on the page in certain situations. I think it's a wasted effort. I think it's counterproductive. The other factor I think that's that's involved in this is camp and similar experiences where you can have a small group of people, relatively small, where everybody knows the music and everybody knows the right thing and the simp- and the syncopations that Brian was talking about, we can sing that, not because it's on the page, but because we know the song. We all heard it on K Love. We all heard it wherever we heard it, and we can we can make this work and and i think that that kind of singing definitely has a place i think when we try to turn camp hymns into chapel hymns we we wind up creating a mess for ourselves the fellowship that we originally had when we're singing sanctuary or whatever is is just missing when you take it away from that context i don't think that makes camp hymns a bad thing i think we need to appreciate the difference between one context and another, and understand when it's right to sing oceans, when it's right to sing "Humble Yourself in the Sight of the Lord," when it's right to sing "How Great Thou Art," and appreciate the hymn for what it is, and not try to shove it into a context that's not appropriate. Well, that's that's the job of a song
2: leader too—to right. know their, their congregation and to not just say, "Hey, listen, we're singing this song, whether you like it or not, so you better learn it." There's Some cases where that has happened, and if you've not been a part of that subset of people who sang it at a weekend in Ohio in 1984, whatever it was, you know, then you're just not going to know the song. But then there are cases where there are certain songs that do have difficult melodies, which have been adapted because they have become like an anthem, and even though they may not be the best um, or most easily accessible songs, they've got so much emotion behind them that that momentum naturally carries them and pushes them into um, a realm where we use them more frequently than we might have otherwise with a song of equal or lesser structural integrity um, or accessibility. So different songs can mean different things. But I guess the, the one thing you were talking about with the radio, which I guess raises the question about, it's kind of like the chicken and the egg, you know, because there were people who were singing songs on the radio, but at least in my estimation, not having been alive during those times, it feels like if if indeed certain songs were written for radio, that they more closely mimic the kind of song that was being sung in church. Yeah, Where the old rugged cross does have some weird syncopation where we may not sing that eighth note, but that can't, that's not at all. Comparable to songs like oceans and I feel bad because we're just picking on oceans (laughs) this this morning, but it's it's it represents a group of songs which we're not familiar with the melody unless we've heard it on the radio, you know, in the 70s or 80s with some of the Gaither songs where they I'm not sure if they were a made for radio kind of group, but they were definitely kind of the beginning of an era of gospel quartets where it was more of a show like the cathedrals and there's still gospel quartet singing now where the songs that they're singing over time start incorporating themselves into our hymnals. And then we think, oh, that's an old familiar song. We Everybody knows that song, but maybe that wasn't the case at the beginning. Is that kind of what you're suggesting that the chicken didn't necessarily come first and the egg doesn't necessarily come first? Sometimes it's a combination
0: of both. Yeah, I think so.
1: It's interesting we're talking about, uh, especially with these new songs, uh, songs off the radio and that sort of thing, we're talking about rhythm being more complicated. And yeah, sure, there are some older songs where the, hit, where the rhythm is a, a little complicated. Well, in the case of old Rugged Cross, it's a matter of you're putting the emphasis, emphasis on the wrong syllable, you know, rugged cross. It brings up an interesting uh, question is that uh, how do people, most people in our congregations, learn songs? Because uh, are they just learning it by ear or are they reading the music on the page? Or in some people, it's a combination of, of both. And it depends on which congregation you're at because there may be, you know, an old congregation in the hills where, you know, they don't read music, just, they do it by ear. And then you may have one congregation where you have more people who can read music and can do so. So, but that all uh, makes a difference, like uh, Michael was suggesting the, the songs that the song leader selects, but not only that, but the way the songwriter writers write songs. Are you writing it to be accessible to to most people? because if, if it's real complicated and people just need to pick it up by ear if they don't know it, then again it's just not it's it's not going to last. So that's my question is is how do most people actually learn songs?
2: I feel like it's by ear. And, and that if you want a song to be successful, you have to write it in such a way to where people can get over that hump somehow. In any group, and I'll make up the numbers, I feel like you'll have 20% of the congregation or group that can read music. And even if it's a difficult song, they'll figure it out. Then you've got 40% of the group where they're going to need some time. And if the song, can be written in such a way to help them out, to help them get over that hump, then they will. Um, But if it's too challenging, then they won't. And then you've got a back half that no matter how it's written, it's not going to sink in. It's just going to take a lot of time and a lot of repetition. And so that middle group is the group that's the most important, that 40%, where like, you've got to help it, help them get over that hump somehow. And Either it's going to be very accessible to the ear or it's going to be accessible to the eye and people are going to be able to look at it and, and say, okay, I can, I can get that. I, I see what they're going for here. Mm-hmm. And that, that goes not just for the melody, but it also goes for the the lyrics, lyrical composition
0: too. Far be it from me to bring oceans up yet again, but one of the, uh, the ladies at church, a place where I was before thought it'd be a great idea if we could sing oceans because she heard it and it sounded great. And she probably heard her daughter singing it with her friends or whatever. This would be great. And she found a video of people singing oceans. And her idea was she was going to put the video on and play the video. And we'd sing along with the video and the song leaders. and, And most of the humans, frankly in the room were trying to explain to her, that's not really the way this works. You know, people can't just sing things because it's being sung. You have to learn the hymn. You have to learn the tune, the learn learn the words, etc. Even if you're supplied the words, even if you're supplied the words and the music, it, it doesn't follow that you can just start singing all of a sudden. And it's not her fault. She's just uneducated in the ways of music, which is fine. And like Michael said, a lot of people are. What we need to do is find a way to, to educate people where they are so that they can be part of this process. Because I think we would all agree that singing is a very important work of the church. And it's a very important part of our own personal walk with Christ. And the better that we do it, the more consistently, the more reverently we do it, the better off we're going to be. So the education has to happen at whatever level it may be. Now, somebody may decide that the best way to do that is to give people a six month crash course in music theory. Good luck with that. I I don't, think that's right i think that's going to drive off more people than it's going to attract but uh, however you do it find a way to do it yeah i think we've all been in in that room where uh
2: somebody says okay we're going to learn a new song here and then you hear a big inhale like okay and it's like okay (laughs) you've you've basically got about 30 seconds if you can't explain this song in 30 seconds then you got a lot of people who are going to be tuning out but you know song leader gets up. It's like, okay, in verse one, we're going to do it this way. And then I want the ladies to do this. And I want you to sing it this loud dynamic. And then the second verse, we're going to do a louder dynamic, but the guys are going to do this. It's like, nope, you lost them. It's, <laughs> it's too much. <laughs> Unless they already know the song, it's it's too much direction. And it's not, it's just not going to turn out the way we think it will. Not to say that we shouldn't ever sing those songs, but just we need to sit, take special care to introduce them The right way in the right place in the right time, whatever we can do to help introduce that song, there's a tactful way, way to do it and a right way to do it. Otherwise, you are going to end up with a minority who are like, oh, we love this song. And the rest of the group doesn't love the song, not because they couldn't, but because it's just. It's beyond them. And uh, it's it's too difficult to incorporate. And so we just end up leaving them behind. And typically what that means is the song stops being sung over time.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think uh, there's a whole lot of people that learn by ear and, you know, they just they just don't have that's okay. They just don't have the uh, the education musically to understand, you know, what the those symbols uh, up there represent. That's okay. So, but I think that it goes true for uh, whatever part they sing, you know, whether you're talking soprano, alto, tenor bass, it's, it's a lot of my ears. So it really it's very helpful to have a congregation to where there's some people who can read very well and sing very strong. And other people over the course of repetition pick things up. I've been in congregations or visiting or a congregation that attend or whatever where the song leader would sing the melody wrong and the congregation would sing the same notes i don't know how that's possible if you're just doing it by ear i think some congregations have, have perfected being able to sing a millisecond behind the song leader. it's like wow that's not even on the page you know but they're 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 following So, so it really is a by ear thing. So that that really behooves song leaders, uh, songwriters, to write in such a way that will be effective for the congregation. And kudos to those songwriters who can write a meaningful song, uh, poetically and musically. Whether those are two different people, whether lyrics are by one person and the music's by another person or by the same person, but kudos to them that they can write such a, a powerful, effective song and yet it's very accessible you just kudos to and you know it'll leave names out but i mean like charlie couchman Mm -hmm. is just it's just is my top one and glenda shales is like it also just those two in particular and of course you know there's the lyric writers you know matt bassford and people like that that are just amazing
0: well before we move on I know that Brian is going to be talking to all of his students and former students and telling them to listen to this podcast. So we probably have a whole lot of teens and 20s out there listening. And I want to send out an appeal to such ones to show patience to your elders when we are learning these new hymns. Uh, because I have been privileged to be in the presence of dozens of young people who love behold our God and they love in need. And in all of these very strong hymns that have been written in recent days. If they can be properly called hymns, maybe spiritual songs would be a more technical term. I don't know, but they know how the hymns go because they've sung them for five years, 10 years or whatever. They know them backward and forward and the old people don't. And they get very impatient with people who can't pick up on it as quickly as they do, and maybe never pick up on it at all. And I, on behalf of my contemporaries, I would ask that you be patient with us. We're trying. We really are. We want to sing it as well as you do. And maybe one of these days we'll get sort of kind of close to getting there, but don't quit on us yet. We're trying to learn. We really are. And
1: and kudos to the people who are uh, in the older generations, you know, 60, 70, 80s, whatever, kudos to them that they're open to learning new songs. And not all of them are, but you know, I'm grateful that I'm at a congregation uh, where, yeah, new songs. Yeah. Let's learn. And there's people of all different ages. And that's just, I'm grateful that it's no, I only want, if only if I know it, you know, and that, that really limits you because there's some great new stuff that's out there.
0: Thank you for listening to the citizen of heaven podcast. Please rate, review, and share so others can access this content. I encourage you also to join the Heaven Citizens Facebook group. There you will find links to related materials, conversation starters, poll questions, and the occasional special announcement. Also, check out the Hal Hammond's channel on YouTube for even more content. Until next time, be strong and courageous, fight the good fight of faith, and do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus. This is Hal Hammond's Citizen of Heaven, signing off.